And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic This is Talk the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Laurie and Andy are here. Carl will be joining us later as we look ahead to a crucial game at Aston Villa. But Tuesday marked the 66th anniversary of the Munich air disaster with tributes made at the West Ham game on Sunday as well as services held at Old Trafford and in Munich on the day of the anniversary. On this episode of the podcast, we'll look into those commemorations and talk about how the club, our fans and the wider football community remember the tragedy in 1958 that robbed the sport of one of its most promising teams. Danny Taylor's written a three-part series of articles on The Athletic about the crash, about how it affected the lives of those involved and also its legacy within the history of Manchester United. The anniversary feels particularly poignant this year as well with the death of Sir Bobby Charlton in October, meaning that the last survivor of the crash has now been laid to rest. Andy, you were over in Munich at Manchester Platz for the service there. Uh, Mark Critchley's with us once again as well. Hello, Critch. You were in Manchester at the uh, service at Old Trafford. I'll speak to you in a moment. But, Andy, first of all, what was it like being over there for the commemorations? It's always incredibly moving, and the numbers are significant. A local police officer said that he estimated between five and 700 fans were there. The vast majority of them had travelled from England and I'd say the vast majority from Manchester. It's a real Mancunian feel to it. And when you look at the flags that the fans take over, it's Openshaw, it's Gorton, it's Sale, it's Stretford. And on the time of the, the actual anniversary, those fans converge on the Manchester Platz, tucked away 10 kilometres away from the centre of Munich and was pretty hard to find until a few years ago. In fact, it was only named the Manchester Platz in 2008. There's a social aspect to it, no doubt about it. Fans were enjoying themselves in the beer halls of Munich the night before, singing away, singing loudly, singing about the Busby Babes. And I was watching tourists just completely bewildered by what they were watching. But by the end of it, and after a few drinks, they were singing Manchester United songs as well. It's quite beautiful. And the local people are really welcoming. And organisations such as the, the Triple MF, Manchester United fans, they raise a lot of money for charities in Munich and they met a lot of German friends and these relationships are, are now well established and the local businesses, the, the florists, the, the, the pubs, the restaurants, they appreciate the business. But most of all, it's about remembering the, the Busby Babes and there's a two-minute silence there. The location is close to the end of the old runway where, where the plane crashed and I saw a couple looking down from their window over the Manchester Platz and I signalled to them to see if they could take a picture perhaps because it was quite difficult to get a picture when you're in the crowd. And the man came down and said, why don't you come up to the top floor of our house? And I had a chat with them and written an article about it for The Athletic. And they said, 
rather than it being a hindrance, all these people coming outside the house every day, and it is every day now, they were saying it's only been happening since 2008. That's 50 years after the disaster. They said, when you see grown men crying, they find it incredibly touching. And when they feel the affinity that the fans have with, with the team, and a lot of them were old enough to remember it, there's a lot of older people there, but also younger people. And some of the charitable um, suggestions are that young people go and learn about the history, carry on explaining about the memory of the, of the babes. And I spoke to kids who've never been out of Greater Manchester before, and suddenly they're, they're in Munich learning about it. And I think that's a force for good. Bayern Munich are very good as well. They send their top dogs, and Manchester United send senior um, either officials or former players. Yesterday I was with Mike Phelan. Last year it was Brian Robson. So I can see that it's not for everyone, but I think it's a force for good, especially as Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said at the 60th anniversary. When the crash happened, relations between the United Kingdom and Germany were, were really low and raw after the Second World War. And it showed that German people could be caring and could help and helped boost relations from a very low point and I definitely feel a respect between two great football clubs Manchester United and, and Bayern Munich so it's just growing every year you know how many are going to go next year and for the 70th and for the 75th and it's fascinating. Yeah I think Andy made a key point in there Laurie as well about there being younger supporters I think I think people listening to this podcast, there'll be some who aren't fully aware of the Munich air disaster if they've not been to Old Trafford and seen the Munich tunnel and, and obviously the, the clock and all the different memorials that are there as well that tell the story of this team. But for people who don't know, it was a, a plane crash that happened in 1958. A Manchester United team were on board, travelling back from a, a European tie. It was very early in European football as well. And so Matt Busby's team were pioneers really in taking part in what was the European Cup back then, 23 people were killed in the disaster, including eight Manchester United players. Two more never played football again. And it is important for this story to continue because, like I said before, Sir Bobby Charlton's death marks a, a strange occurrence that this is the first time that the disaster will be remembered with none of the survivors still here. Yeah, I think it's a really important aspect of Manchester United and, and its history because... If it hadn't happened, the whole course of the club's trajectory would have been different, right? Um, they were one of the most vibrant teams in Europe and so Matt Busby had fought really hard for the FA to allow them to compete in Europe. So he was taking this team on this European adventure that then ended in tragedy, but he obviously rebuilt the club and went on to win the European Cup in 1968, which is an incredible triumph from where they were. And I know that there was the film about Busby, wasn't there, where he, he speaks about the real dark times after Munich that went on for a long time. I know they incredibly quickly um, played again, which is remarkable given the circumstances, just unfathomable in, in today's era. Um, but there the, the were you know seriously dark times. And I feel like that is something that we should always remember. And it's, it's right not to tip the balance too much into... I don't know what the right word is, you know, dwelling in it and or wallowing in it maybe. It's more a kind of remembrance of those lives as much as it is the deaths. And I'm curious, obviously, with Critch and Andy being in these locations when they are being remembered, how that made you feel. And and, and I certainly, when I've heard uh, Sir Webb Charlton speak about it, for example, or read his book, incredibly moving words, 
it, the emotion does rise within you because you, you remember and, and you sort of think, you know, way before I was even born, but you sort of think about these players that had the world at their feet and, and what joy they brought to people. And so I think that's a, a, a thing to keep in your mind throughout all the rest of history you know, for United. And just on the kind of modern players, it was actually interesting. I was reminding myself that in 2019, um, I was in Belgrade for you know, the Europa League game uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and and the, the some of the young players in that game, so like Brandon Williams, James Garner, Ethan Laird, had actually gone to Belgrade for the uh, 60th anniversary the year previous, and, and they uh, laid a wreath in the stadium. So this was the last, this was the place where the Busby Babes had, had played for the final time before you know making that ill-fated journey back via Munich and. Uh, um, and and just so so it was it's been something that the club have been conscious of trying to educate even the younger players the academy players in because clearly it was so instrumental to what Matt Busby created that has then lasted the course you know whatever number of games it is now 4,000 something that an academy player has been in the squad consecutively which is an incredible statistic um, so that's why I think all these things knitted together are why it's so important for United to reflect at this point of the year you know when Munich happened yeah undoubtedly it's about respecting the legacy of that team and and some of the qualities that they had and then were installed in Manchester United or ideal Manchester United sides moving forward Critch I think one of the the most interesting aspects this year about the memorial at Old Trafford was those who were in attendance Sir Alex Ferguson uh, Eric Ten Hag Mark Skinner uh, the captains Bruno Fernandes and Katie Zellum but for the first time, obviously, since his investment and his involvement with the club, so Jim Radcliffe chose to be there as well. Yeah, yesterday at Old Trafford was actually the first time that I'd attended one of the services um, in the years that I've been covering the club. And you're right, there was a lot of important people there. And you're right to highlight Jim Radcliffe and Sir Dave Brailsford in attendance. Obviously, <laughs> for their perspective, I think, you know, you could look at it in a cynical way and say that it's an easy win. It's the least that you would expect of owners who have just um, arrived at the club to come in and um, pay their respects and and mark a tradition that's as important as this one is to the club. But at the same time, they were there. They were present. They stood in the rain like like all the supporters did and us journalists did. And even though they had an assistant holding up an umbrella for him and we didn't, I guess that's what (laughs) 1.3 billion gets you. Sorry, I wasn't there for you, Critch. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Next time, please. Don't want to mess that mullet up, do we? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the mullet really matched the sobriety of the okay. occasions so I had to keep my hood up actually but yeah I mean and look they were there and there'll be people who look at that and who will say that that's more than than the Glazer family have managed over the last 19 years now perhaps if you're asking the Glazers they say there's reasons why they don't go because their presence the controversy would detract from the occasion they're in a different time zone etc but I think when you're in a role like that optics are the easy part of the job right and it's, it's not difficult to get right and I think everybody appreciated the fact that so soon after this process, before even this process is finalised, that uh, Jim Ratcliffe and Dave, Dave Brailsford were there. Uh, there was applause for him when they came out, which, you know, I'm sure it just wasn't just for them because you had Sir Alex Ferguson there as well and uh, other club figures like Brian Kidd, Paddy Crowan, people like that. But um, it felt significant because of their presence, absolutely. The striking thing for me yesterday, really, and something that I hadn't realised before, was that this isn't actually an event that's put on by the club. It's something that originated and was, was almost organically come from that, that happened in the years after the, the disaster itself. Uh, it's something that's completely fan-led. There was bigger numbers, I would say, in the years immediately after the disaster. And I think, as Andy's alluded to, perhaps it's actually increased a bit more in the years since then. It's actually organised by a group called Munich 58, 
two United fans, Elaine Giles and Mike Thomas. They've organised it. They've made it more of an actual event rather than something that's just ad hoc and impromptu. And they bring local fans who want to contribute a song or a poem or a reading, and they encourage them to do that. And so it's something that's very much, like I say, fan-led, very much organically come up. And you sense that at the event itself, because even though we had all these important people there yesterday, like Brailsford and Ratcliffe, etc., actually, we didn't hear anything from them. They, they weren't the ones to speak. It was supporters. Um, there was no speeches from the official figures there. In fact, I think the only person in any way related to Manchester United who spoke was an under-13s player. And again, that's going back to what Laurie said about the link with the academy. So... Yeah, for my first experience being at Old Trafford for that for that event, um, it was just a really touching and really heartwarming occasion. And I think, yes, you can. There's a, it's difficult sometimes to strike the right balance with this sort of thing. But I think Munich '58 and the people that have been um, organising this event over the years have have managed to strike it. Yeah, Andy, why do you think it is commemorated in the way it is now in a much more sort of high profile sense than than ever before? I think there's lots of reasons and I spoke to people about this and as Critch said that the, the club let the fans lead this you know when you're at these speeches this isn't a polished affair and nor should it be this is raw emotion it's coming from the heart I can remember being on the forecourt in the 90s at Old Trafford on the day of the anniversary there would be six people there I knew them it's gone from that to hundreds and even thousands is it because we celebrate death more now as society is it because fans look back and they're especially proud? They want to keep the legacy open? I think there are practical reasons. The Manchester Platz became that in 2008. People could find it. Smartphones meant they could type it into a phone and find it when they get to Munich. Budget airlines meant that people could fly to Munich cheaply. And then word spreads. And charities and organisation, really good organisation from the fans. I think when... Statues of Jimmy Murphy go up behind the Stretford end. Youngsters say, who was he? They learn about the Busby Babes that way. So there's all loaded little reasons why people do it. And to go to Munich to find that there is something there now. For many years, there was just a little cross there. Now there's a, a big display. There's, a, there's the signage. Social media probably plays a part as well. People are quite proud when they go there. They go and hang the flags up, the flags for Roger Byrne or Harry Gregg. And it all makes it more more appealing. And there are worse cities to go to than Munich as well. And it's in February. That's when you're going to get the cheapest flights. One lad said something really interesting to me. So you can't get tickets for away games now with your mates. You can't plan. They're that hard to get. But with this, you know what day it's going to be on. You know you can book a flight. You know you can all go. You don't have to start flapping about getting tickets. He said he saw more of his mates there than he did at any Manchester United game. Because every away game is completely oversubscribed by four or five to one. So I'd not heard that before. All these ingredients go in the help of the Munich authorities as well. I think it's a force for good. Yeah, I agree. I think on a match day, we go to the press entrance at Old Trafford, which is in the Munich Tunnel, and even when we arrive, which is usually sort of two or three hours before the game, Andy will be five minutes before the game because he's been selling fanzines in the rain, obviously. But you'll often see supporters in the tunnel looking at the different displays that are there. Uh, and it can often be different generations of fans as well. And I love the idea of 
grandmas and grandfathers passing stories on to sons and daughters and then grandsons and granddaughters and so on and so on. I think that's a, a very important part of being a football fan is understanding the history of the club. I've been impressed at times, maybe that's the wrong sort of word, but I've certainly been struck by how modern Manchester United players have honoured the memory of the Busby Babes. I remember talking on the podcast about it, Andy, you know, you've written his book as well, Patrice Evra, very, very, very strongly affected by attending the uh, memorial in Munich ahead of Manchester United against Bayern Munich in the Champions League when he scored that fantastic goal and was completely overcome by emotion, which about 33 seconds was cut short by Bayern Munich scoring and then Manchester United going out of the Champions League. But at least for those 33 seconds, it was for the Busby Babes, it was for their memory and, and Patrice felt very strongly about that. So undoubtedly, I think it's a huge part of Manchester United's history and I would recommend anyone to go on The Athletic, have a look at the articles that have been written about the memorials, including Andy's obviously in Munich, but also Danny Taylor's pieces about the crash, the history of the crash and the legacy that it leaves behind. Critch, I'll let you go. Thank you for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, as promised, before we move it on to Aston Villa, Carl Anker has joined us. Hello, Carl. Hello. How is everyone? Yeah, very good, thank you. Lovely to have you on. Uh, we've got a couple of other items to debate as well, which sort of feed into each other a little bit. Laurie, you've been writing some clickbait about Robin Van Persie, I believe. <laughs> I thought the clickbait bit... I got that bit the right way around? Was, we're going to come on to the clickbait bit. You're, you're suggesting that me writing about Robin Van Persie snubbing Arsenal and doing his coaching badges at Manchester United is clickbait. I didn't write that he snubbed Arsenal, by the way. That's just the implication. People will perhaps read into it as, as that. People will uh, now. I thought this quite quite interesting. I don't know what you guys think, that he's, he's at Carrington this week. So we saw the pictures, didn't we? Sunday, he's watching the game. He's, he's pictured with Sir Alex Ferguson. and then uh, But he stuck around. He's in Manchester for a reason. He's doing uh, another portion of his UEFA Pro licence. And the requirement with the Dutch FA is that you do it at a foreign club, which is kind of interesting. I, I mean, you don't have to do that with the English FA or the FAW, which is some... I know a lot of coaches have come through that. Mikel Arteta, for one. Patrick. Vieira, another one. But yeah, the Dutch FA want you to do a four-day course at a foreign club. So Van Persie asked United, obviously Eric Ten Hag being a compatriot, and I think Ten Hag probably thought, well, I might not do this for everybody, but I'll, I'll do it for you, uh, Robin. And United is a club, I think, generally like to welcome former players back, don't they? Phil Jones is currently working with the under-18s. Patrice Evra, I know, Andy, you'll 
obviously be all over this, but he, uh, he he did some work, didn't he, with the club? Um, was that to do with his sporting director? Maybe I can't quite remember the exact reason for it, but but Van Persie being back is, I think, is interesting. And you know, he's watching the likes of Rasmus Hoyland in training, and he's also doing interviews with Ten Hag, Mitchell van der Gaag, John Murta. So it's quite a thorough sort of four day course. But yeah, he he didn't choose to do it at Arsenal. No, and that's a huge snub, Carl, isn't it? Obviously, you know, because he spent a lot longer at Arsenal than he did at Manchester United. But we seem to be. I don't know, we remember him more fondly for obvious reasons, I guess. Robin chose to watch West Ham versus Manchester United over Liverpool-Arsenal. I do find it funny that even though the January transfer window closed, Eric Ten Hag still found a way to get a Dutch striker in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's only 40 and all the comments on the article are basically like, can he he still, you know... He looks like he could, actually. He looks fresh, doesn't he? He's in a tracksuit, doesn't he? (laughs) Definitely. You might be wondering why I'm mentioning clickbait. Well, that's because of a a brilliant article. It's a very intriguing article that Andy has written with Joey Derso on The Athletic about the modern phenomena of Manchester United and its, well, clickbait followers, basically, to be honest. I think that's there's, there's better ways to put it, but there's a lot of falsehoods and a lot of people are making a lot of money writing nonsense about the club. And Andy... We know that you're a big fan of aggregators, <laughs> so you were the ideal person to do this investigation with Joey, weren't you? Joey's ideal as well. He's a fantastic investigative journalist. Spoke to lots of people about this. Spoke to photographers who are seeing their work ripped off on a daily basis. They're seeing their name stripped out of the credit. They said it feels like theft in plain sight, that if you upload Taylor Swift's music or Champions League highlights onto social media, it's taken down straight away. True. They said... Instagram needs photographers. Photographers don't need Instagram. So the the social media companies are are complicit in this. But I was sick of reading not just transfer rumours that they're fine, that's just part of football, but complete untruths. I was seeing quotes attributed to people, including Robin Van Persie, that when I read them thought, that simply is not true. He's never said that. And they were getting huge traction online. And if they were accompanied by a photo, a stolen photo... That seemed to give them more credibility. And I saw one get like 1.3 million views with everybody arguing over these false Robin Van Persie quotes. And I, they're, they're false. Never mind what whether he likes Arsenal or not. It's all completely false. So we track some of the people down. They monetize it. They have adverts. Some of them admitted, yeah, we know we're lying. Yeah, we know we're lighting, and I don't think that that's fair. Some of them are pretty big operations as well, and it's very global, and it's very super club-centric. I spoke to an agent of a Manchester United player who said, my player has to read complete lies about himself all the time. Do you think that's a good thing for him? And he thinks it's going to get worse with AI. Manchester United flagged up 2.6 million messages, tweets, Instagram posts, or whatever, that were racist, that were homophobic, This is a significant issue and I think it's getting worse. I'm seeing accounts popping up all the time, just pumping out falsehoods. And yeah, some of them are kids in bedrooms, it's pretty innocent, but some of them are plugging into serious numbers and they're monetizing that and a lot of it is based on theft. And I just thought it was fascinating and worth digging around with Joey and we ended up doing a bit of whack-a-mole, but we ended up going down a few rabbit holes as well and, and getting people and holding them to account saying what are you doing you had a really interesting conversation with uh, someone in Nigeria who's running a Facebook account who would freely admit you know 
he, he, I think he used the term clickbait rather than fake news. But freely admits he, he's doing this to earn money for his family. He said via using this Facebook account, he, he gets something around £2,000 monthly. Yeah, 1700 quid a month. Yeah. This is about money. It's about money. Um, Things often are. And I think this is interesting at a time where you know Manchester United, you know, club media says they have 1.1 billion followers. They don't use the term fans anymore. Um, but when you've got that many eyeballs on Manchester United and that many things happening every other day in this club. Fertile ground for a podcast, don't you think? Fertile ground for, for so much. You know, the, the, the environment of Manchester United sustains so many people. Um, and, you know, in the term nature abhors a vacuum, the Manchester United environment hates it when it's quiet for too long. So very often you have two or three days and someone goes, here we go. And I think this is why, particularly when the takeover was between two different candidates, we just got fed so much strangeness. I'm amazed by how otherwise intelligent people are taken in by this just because they see the words next to a picture. I saw people who I know from the match, who I didn't have down as completely stupid, arguing <laughs> and about a false Alex Ferguson quote where he said he's sick of being called bacon-faced by scousers. I mean, as if Alex Ferguson would ever say something like this. <laughs> and you've got, you've got all these people talking about it, saying, well, he knocked them right off the perch. I'm like, no, no it's, none of this is true. He's never said this. Yeah, but if he did say it... But he didn't. You know, I mean, it, it gets, I know, but it gets into those sort of realms, doesn't it? Uh, where people want these individuals to say these things, so they just believe it anyway because it's funny. Like, Or they don't believe it, but they run with it anyway because it's funny. Um, but it has, it has real consequences, doesn't it? It has real consequences. You know, the, the photographers who have seen the work stolen. I suppose I was also motivated by... I'm seeing journalists losing the jobs. Journalists who do the jobs properly are now being put out of work. It it pollutes. Um, it's like pollution going into a river or the sea. All of these lies and this fabrication. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't know how you police it. I think the social media companies are entirely complicit with this. And you're right, people, they want to believe some of the lies that they're reading, yeah. which is weird. And I'll pull them up and I'll say, you know, John, that thing you've said about the takeover... It's just not true, mate. You're spreading it to, like, your 3,000 followers. It's not true. I didn't think it was, mate. Anyway, you were signing in January. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> just wind it back a little bit, mate. Do you not think you've done anything wrong there? And they don't, because it's clearly it's not the most important issue in the world. But as Carl touched on this whole ecosystem around Manchester United, just weird. There was a guy that you found in there as well, um, you and Joey, where he basically accepted then, I think it was the Van Persie quote, wasn't it, where it was just wrong. It was like, oh, right, sorry, but it's already out there, too late to change it, can't delete it. It's, like, <laughs> it's quite oh, an right. attitude, isn't it, really? Well, yeah. so it doesn't matter. So that's what that's what world we're in now, where clicks for some people equal money and that, that's their way of making a living. But then you do, as, as Andy's alluded to there, it then seeps into journalism a little bit. We're seeing places that, are reliant on putting out stories as much as possible per day so that you get the advertising revenue from the clicks of people, even if the stories aren't right or they're kind of opinions based around a story that's not really true. It doesn't really matter because in the grand scheme of things, at least it means people are reading and at least you know people are kind of clicking on and, and then money goes round. But I don't know, I would always hopefully believe that people would try and find out the truth of, of matters. And I suppose is th this is, you know... I, I, 
I guess you know, two thousand euro a month. This guy's making in Nigeria. It's not the end of the world for him. It's probably a lot of money, but it does feel like it's all sort of on this trajectory of, you know, sort of I don't know, meta reality where what what is what is truth and what is reality. It might be a bit too industry, a bunch of journalists going, oh, no, look at all this other news sources. I'm feeling a bit but, like that listening to you, to be honest, <laughs> but yeah, go on. I do agree with Andy in that things will change with AI. It's February and I'm already seeing people claim what might be the home and away kit next season and I can't tell which is which. Well, they're always usually true, aren't they, though? The leaks of the kits are usually... Now, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> Listen the, to leaks you, are, the leaks are fake. <laughs> I've heard rumours that some kits are deliberately leaked to gauge reception and then if they say, "Eh, we don't like it, they make a tweet. So we don't know. This is the fun thing about so much of being at United. There are so many questions that you can ask, but ultimately a lot of the truest answers. Let's just wait and see. Uh, And and also, I mean, AI, you know, I haven't done it, obviously, but I mean, I'm sure Andy has um, put himself through that (laughs) high school um, AI, what was it? where, you know, you, you're kind of transformed into, you know, a high school student in America, you know, just to make yourself look good. You know, you, you've done that, haven't you, Andy? So, you know, it's not all bad, is it, AI? You have to tell me where this is so I can find it. <laughs> Imagine if I put my head through and it came out looking at you. <laughs> that would be freaky. <laughs> looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Next up for Manchester United then is a trip to Villa Park on Sunday to take on Aston Villa. In the past trips to Villa Park have been amazing, both in results and experience and in memories, I think, for United fans. But there'll be a little bit of trepidation, I would think, going there this weekend, despite the improved mood, despite the improved form, despite having the majority of the players back now to full fitness too, because, Laurie, Villa Park has been a pretty difficult place for away teams to go this season, including the likes of City, the likes of Arsenal. Um, It's not going to be easy, is it? No, no. But, but I'm I'm quite hopeful still, you know. 
Like I know that Villa went to Sheffield United and absolutely destroyed them, and, and Sheffield United didn't even play badly. Really, it was like incredible goals, great sort of passing from Douglas Louise. But Sheffield United played into their hands with their defence and kind of being a bit erratic. And I just think back to that game at Christmas when you know United. It was chaos, but United came out on top, and I kind of feel like that's the sort of game that suits Rasmus Hoyland, Alejandro Garnacho, Marcus Rashford. So you know the high line that Villa play, we know they're not going to deviate from that. Um, and, and even you know, obviously against City, they were able to squeeze up really high and, and kind of just make it overwhelm City, which is incredible to say. But against Arsenal, you know it was a it was a close game. Arsenal definitely had chances, and if United can just time their runs on side, they will get chances at Villa Park. It's just about taking them, and if they can, you know keep Ollie Watkins quiet at the other end and, and the various other attacking players they've got. I, I think it'll be a really entertaining game, but I wouldn't be surprised if United emerge victorious. Yeah, I interviewed Luke Shaw earlier on today and he was sort of suggesting that this is the best shape that United have been in this season with all the players being back. We'll obviously talk about the blow of Lissandro Martinez a little bit more in a moment. Now we know that he's going to be missing for around eight weeks. Uh, but Andy, you'll love this. We had a brilliant message from False Swine on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, who said Manchester United's goal difference has only been over zero once this season following the first game against Wolves, which they won (laughs) 1-0. They've got to zero on three occasions after Forest, Everton and Chelsea wins, but have been on minus goal difference since the defeat to Bournemouth at home. They're on minus one at the moment. Will they stay in the minus after Villa on Sunday? Change my mind, he says. I'm with Laurie. I think United... Are ascendant and Ooh. Villa are not, although they're very good at home. They've played 11, won nine, drawn one, and lost one. But if you remember Villa at the start of December when they beat a team called Manchester City and then Arsenal, and then they beat Brentford away, and then they came to Old Trafford and they were absolutely flying. And they got beat, and they've struggled since that defeat at Old Trafford. Since I started stroking in Irish chin, basically. <laughs> yeah, I love well, that I've clip. That's been the turning point of their season. <laughs> How did it feel? Uh, it was very random. <laughs> I mean, I didn't actually stroke his chin. Yeah. He was stroking his chin, but his hand and his face looked like completely different colours, so it looked like it was genuinely my hand doing it. And once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it. It's great. That's what you want, isn't it? Like, you'd come into an interview with something to say, and I just stood there and laughed because I thought it was brilliant. But you're right, Andy, they don't feel as strong as they did when they beat City at home, do they? They put five past Sheffield United, as Laurie says. I, I'd see beyond that, if, if with, with respect to, to Villa. They, they got beat 3-1 at home by um, Newcastle United, who've not been playing well. Um, they drew against Everton. And it will still be a very difficult game, but I feel that a little more conviction with Manchester United. We went down to the... West Midlands last week, we went to Wolves and United are going to make a proper attempt at that top four. Well, Aston Villa currently sit in fourth and they enjoy an eight-point advantage over Manchester United with 15 games to go. Eight points is a lot to make up over 15 games. I'm not going to say it's a, it's a six-pointer, but it is. What about making up five, Carl, over 14 games? That feels more doable. Just about. Uh, so my friend Paulie has been crunching the numbers here and uh, I'll just try and give them out to you. On average, you need about 71 points in the last five or six seasons to finish in the top four. You need, let's say, 68 to finish fifth. And even then, you're still going to need a favour from one of <coughs> City, one of <coughs> Liverpool in their respective tournaments to get that coefficient up. 
Uh, at this point in time, Aston Villa, according to my mate Paulie's maths, are on pace to finish with 76 points, while fifth place Spurs are on pace to finish with 72.7. That's if you you know take their results at current point and elongate them. You include head-to-head records, you assume they'll draw a couple, they'll lose a couple, boom, 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 boom. United is hard. From United to finish in the top five, they need to win 10 of their last 15, and that's if they draw the derby and two more games. Right. So you're so, saying there's a chance? There is a chance, but United have to be near perfect if they want to be in the Champions League. And to be near perfect, they absolutely have to be Aston Villa on Sunday. A draw is not enough. Uh, and I'm very, very sure Eric Ten Hag is probably telling his boys that right now. Ten Hag's probably looking at that high line and going, "This now is a chance to run in behind. And as Laurie says, get the offsides right. Because if Garnacho gets his timing bang on, Bruno Fernandes should be able to find him. It'll be a week of timing runs at Carrington, mm. won't it, I would think. Laurie, a, a thought's just crossed my mind. Um, oh, God. You'd imagine Manchester United fans want United to be in the Champions League next season, yeah? Yeah. And obviously with this new rule, the Swiss rule or whatever it's called that UEFA have come up with. Yeah. If English teams perform well enough in Europe this season, then fifth place in the Premier League will be awarded. I think I know where you're going. Place eh? in the Champions League for next season. Does that mean that Manchester United fans, towards the end of this year, will be faced with the conundrum of having to hope that Manchester City do well in the Champions League and Liverpool do well in the Europa League for Manchester United to get in the Champions League next season? Well, listen. You know, I've always been an advocate for English teams in Europe. Uh, you know, you just want the country to do well. What? I'm obviously joking. <laughs> <laughs> there are people like that who exist, you know. Oh, no, don't. I'm not having it. That day when Liverpool came back and, you know, from 3-0, I was celebrating in my car when it was 3-0. I thought, right, brilliant. I was driving over to a friend's house and then, you know, you sort of have it on in the background like, oh, no, oh, no. So anyway, you don't need to go there. But I thought you told me that it's fine, that whatever happens now, England are so far ahead in the coefficients. No. No, you're, you're now wincing. You... you Gave me false hope there. Well, he should be fine because of how... Carl, get your mate Paulie to do the maths. Who's this guy, by the way? Paulie has done the maths. Is he? Paulie, Come on. So Who is Paulie? Paulie has a fantastic uh, Substack newsletter that I subscribe okay. to. He's, he's, All I can think so, is Jersey Shore in my head. Paulie Quest thoughts. He's based in New York. He's he's a lovely gentleman. So, I was going to say, Paulie sounds like some sort of gangster from a... <laughs> yeah, a, Casino a or Goodfellas. Or something. <laughs> or, yeah, even that more Scorsese or something. Paulie, talk to me, man. Are we in the Champions League or what? <laughs> That was terrible. I apologise to everyone connected with New York. Anyway, that's, go on, Carl. That's really tickled me. Um, England have the third highest UEFA for coefficient right now behind Germany and Italy. So, United really do need the English teams in the Champions League and the Europa League to make a deep run to get that coefficient up. If we're going to assume City are going to get past FC Copenhagen, you know, not every <laughs> Manchester-based club Tough does team. Well big, against FC Copenhagen. Good, good team. Big, big team. Get past Rooney. Really strong striker. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> So you assume that that'll bump you up and, and get you further into in into things. But no, fifth place is not a guarantee. So and I don't think Manchester United should be thinking about fifth place. I think United should be going, we need to get seventy one points. So let's let's win ten of our last fifteen games at the very least. I don't know if I dare talk to Andy Mitten about Europe. He's still fuming that they only won one game out of six in that group. He said it twice on the last podcast is so I annoyed. heard it. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, have you I know you, you tend to prefer coffees and, and when you want your caffeine fix. Have you ever sipped a certain energy drink 
since the last time United got knocked out. <laughs> I know what you're going to say there. Of a group stage. I was fuming with that one. You were devastated. I was. I was. Yeah, I hold my hands up, boys. This is, I can't help how I feel. I'm not going to mention it again. But one out of six, come on, right, carry on. What, what if I asked you this direct question? Would you want Manchester United to get a place in the Champions League next season by finishing fifth if that meant the only way that happened was City to win the Champions League and Liverpool to win the Europa League? Both. Would, it, would both have to happen? Not have to. I, I don't think so. I think, I think they'll be safe. I think it'll be fine. It's United and Newcastle not doing well in the Champions League. Basically, their, their points are worth more than the team's performances in the Europa League or the Conference League. Maybe that was weighted too much. Maybe maybe it's City winning the Champions League so United can get in it next year in fifth place. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Because Liverpool winning the Europa League is it's fine. I'd rather them not, I think. <laughs> it's an odd question. That's like saying, your wife's going to leave you for Ian, Laurie or Carl. You choose which one of the three. I, I'm not... It's just vexing me this now because the idea of... I've managed to blank Manchester City out my mind, even when like they win more than one cup, I just think it's irrelevant. I just don't have the same level of respect for it as I would, even with Liverpool winning it, just because of the way that it's that it's come about. Just talk talk about something else with one of the others, please, lads. <laughs> yes, let's talk about something else. Lissandro Martinez is injured. It's not quite as bad as we feared, but he's still out for eight weeks. Which is, you know, at this time, just back from an injury that he'd re-injured. So it feels like it's been such a stop-start sort of eight months really for him I mean it was kind of when was it was it March this time last year so, you know, a couple of months anyway away from this um, so yeah really disappointing that he's injured himself again but this is a different injury it's a freak occurrence isn't it Kufal falling on his knee but it did look bad you know Eric Ten Hag's words afterwards kind of put doom amongst the fan base for what it might entail which is you think in ACL then at that point yeah. um, so fortunately it's not that it's a medial collateral ligament MCL it doesn't require surgery but it is looking like eight weeks and, and United said at least eight weeks so there's some optimistic views that think six to eight weeks I'm told that six weeks would be pushing it and these things are variable aren't they I don't think anybody expected Martinez to have to go under the knife again for his foot injury so it's difficult to say with absolute certainty but at least it's something that can be rehabbed without having to go under the knife on this and yeah hope him a speedy recovery and, and a full recovery because he has you know already in those couple of matches that he's been back shown the importance that he's got to the team and I know Carl can go into this in more depth in terms of what he does bring and then the the potential for should United have to look at that position again just to make sure they've got a proper deputy you know it kind of presents a bit of a question now doesn't it I suppose going forwards yeah it does Carl you wrote a piece last week looking at the squad and classifying people I think the only player you decided was absolutely vital to Manchester United and must be kept and is the perfect age and profile and whatever else was Martinez, wasn't it? So um, <laughs> Yes. That's gone well. This was a big project given to me by my editor, John, in the final week of the January transfer window. He went, just sell or keep for everyone. And I thought, nah, sell and keep. Too binary. you got to put in some spice there. So, yeah, right at the top is Lissandro Martinez. Uh, and then also in there, there's a section of what I described promising youngsters. I think Garnacho should be retained. Hoyland should be retained. Maynou should be retained as well. I also said there's a trio of debatables, really, which we could probably do a whole podcast episode. We definitely so could. Luke Shaw. <laughs> I think Luke Shaw, fantastic. Essential to how we both defend and progress the ball, but hasn't played more than 2,000 minutes in back-to-back Premier League seasons since he's been at United. So 
there might be coming a point in time where you either get a player better than Luke Shaw to go ahead and he's the second choice. United's longest serving player now, Luke Nine Shaw. Nine seasons with him. 28. Luke Shaw's fantastic when he's fit, but the, when he's fit means his his plays can be debated. I've seen people saying he should be sold and they need to move on to someone reliable. I've seen people saying he needs to be retained at all costs. So he's on. He's there. I think Marcus Rashford is debatable, as Andy's seen with his survey on United We Stand, where some, a lot of people thought he should be sold before Wolves. I also think Bruno Fernandes is a, of a debatable status in that while he is very, very important and all these players revolve around him to do the attacking system, he's such an unorthodox player that someone could come in and go, let's move him on and get in someone a bit more restrained in ball retention and then and take us to the next level. So every major player at Manchester United got dropped into a category on that piece. You can have a look on that. I did also, when Martinez got injured, uh, had two or three commenters and subscribers say, uh, should United look at a left-sided centre-back? Uh, uh, yeah, go on then. Let, let me let me go have a chat with the data team. So between now and Friday, uh, there will be a piece on The Athletic where Mark Carey, myself and Tom Harris sort of put all the things that Sandra Martinez is good at, put in a big spreadsheet, went beep, boop, beep, and said, get us some more defenders in the world who are like that. Uh, I'm not going to reveal everyone on that list, but I will say one of them, uh, Ten Hag probably knows about because they play in the Eredivisie, uh, and another one, uh, plays in the Premier League already, so okay, that's fun. We'll keep our eyes peeled for that. But, Laurie, didn't you write in the uh, piece that you did a few weeks ago about the situation at Manchester United at, at, at executive level? Didn't you say about some of the alternatives in that piece to Martinez for United that summer? They looked at Guardiola, who obviously went for big money to Man City. Bastoni, I think, was another one. And Pau Torres, who obviously went to Aston Villa. I mean, Pau Torres was a, a well-known one from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer times. But it is, it is funny, isn't it, when you reflect back to that meeting on the pitch between Solskjaer and Nathan Ake, and he's put his arm around him when he was at Bournemouth and going down with them, and he's saying, we need a left-footed centre-half. And took him a while to get one in Martinez, did really well, and now we're sort of going, do they need another one? I mean, Luke Shaw could do it, couldn't he, as a deputy? But then that does take away something from his left-back role that he's shown is so important on. And as Carl's touched on, his own injury record has been a little bit checkered. So big tease there, Carl. So I like that. I like what you've done there. Big tease, yeah. Right, we'll leave it there then. Uh, Andy, Carl, Laurie, thank you so much for your company as always on Talk of the Devils. Thank you for listening at home as well. If you've got any questions or you want to send the lads any messages, remember our email account. So if you want to get in touch, go to your email, open up a new message and type into the address bar devilspod at theathletic.com we'd love to hear from you we'll see you on the next one take care bye bye Athletic.